Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can be turning to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll meet there in just a moment. We're not going to spend all of our time there, but use it as a springboard for our thoughts this morning. Uh, unfortunately, I hate beginning the sermon with an apology, but I'm one of those Sundays I'm going to have to apologize for my voice. Uh, I don't think I'm contagious, unless you're contagious to that yellow cloud outside that's on our cars and in everything that we see and everywhere that we turn. Uh, but certainly after being outside the ballpark all day yesterday, I sound pretty rough. Um, but I ask you to bear with me through the next few moments here. But we also are thankful for the visitors that are with us. We want you to know that you're our honored guest. As I look around, we have some first-time visitors. Uh, we also have some who are not usually with us, uh, not necessarily members, but not necessarily visitors that we've not met before. But we're thankful that you are here. We oftentimes try to say, and we'll do uh, take a moment here to say that uh, if you have any questions about anything that you've heard or observed in our service, we would ask you to ask those questions of us as we f- uh, finish our services in a few moments. Talk to one of the elders if you can find one or find myself, and we would love a chance to answer any questions you have about anything that we've done in regards to what the Bible says about those things, how we worship God, what we talk about in the sermon, anything like that. But we're just thankful that you are here. Uh, Since we have several visitors, it may behoove us to take just a moment and mention our schedule for the day. Uh, We would love for you to stay with us in just a few moments as we finish. We'll have lunch together. Uh, Certainly, as we said and has already been stated this morning, some of that will be uh, leftovers from the good meal that we had on Thursday as we honored our brother Gabby and fed the Williamson family. Uh, If you're not a member here, you may have already heard, but we lost a great man, and we honored his family on Thursday after the funeral with a meal, and so we want to uh, enjoy lunch. We do every Sunday together, but thankful to have some leftovers from that that we can uh, enjoy here together uh, as a fellowship, not only the lunch and the good meal, the delicious food, uh, but also the time of fellowship that we can spend there together. Uh, I know the Williamson family appreciates your prayers. I got tickled as uh, Jerry read that card to begin. The last couple of times I had visited with Gabby, uh, he had made Mary Lou, he had said several times, you've got to write that card, you've got to write that card. He wanted to be sure it was done. So, well, she got it done, and we're thankful for her good words. Thankful for this good family. I'll just say it one more time, but uh, if you want a tribute to a great man, then you just look at these two rows up here, a family. Uh, that are here honoring him, and we're thankful for that and the impact that he had uh, on all of us. But we will have lunch here in a few moments at about 1230. I also made sure Mr. Joe knew up here in the front row to close that door so that smell didn't come in anymore, and I lose any more listeners before we get into the sermon. But it smelled good a few moments ago. We'd love for you to stay with us. We will also have our service at 1.30 right after that. And as is, if you have a bulletin in front of you, you've already noticed the good news, the best news of the day is you don't have to listen to me twice, uh, but you get to listen to our young men as they will present part of our service. And so with that being said, I'm going to begin with a bunch of slides that you won't be able to read, but there's a point behind it. Uh, These slides show you what our young people did as a part of the Lads to Leaders program. Uh, And so a lot of it's very small as we try to fit it all on there, but I just wanted to make a point by showing it to you because you'll see names on this first slide of our young men and young women who competed and participated in the song leading part of the the, uh, competition and of the convention there. We had several that gave speeches put together anywhere from about three to five minutes or four to six minute speech and then delivered that there at the convention Um, This is where it gets small, but it's small. It's a good thing because that means that there were a bunch of them that participated. You know that we did the Bible Bowl because I preached on Joshua, and we talked about them taking the Bible Bowl test, also taking the Pearls test. The Pearls test was another set of material that they studied over the book of Joshua. They covered that in our classes 
here uh, during our Bible class hour, and then they took a test on what they had studied there, and then there are year-round events. You know, the purpose of Lads to Leaders is not just to go to Nashville for a weekend and get to compete and try to win some medals or awards. It's about participating in the year-round things, teaching our children to be Christians all year and be a part of a congregation in various ways. On the left-hand side there, if you can see it, it says year-round bulletin board. Well, some people, if you're like me, or maybe most men, I guess I should say, sometimes you pass by bulletin boards without ever paying attention to them. But there are a lot of ladies that work very hard on putting bulletin boards together to encourage our young people. I'll never forget when we first moved here, there was one down the hallway uh, that had questions on it. The kids could walk by and they could pull out a question and try to answer it and maybe make a match on the board. People work really hard on those. So we've taught our young people, and one of the programs is to teach the young people how to do that. So as they get older and they're a part of a congregation, that may be something that they can do. The Good Samaritan program on the far left is simply doing good deeds, doing good works around the congregation. They wrote cards. Uh, they raked leaves one Saturday. Uh, did lots of things like that. The Centurion of Scripture, we had three folks this year that memorized 100 verses. If you remember a centurion or you think about a century, they memorized 100 verses. Uh, now, most kids do what's called the bronze level there, which is you just simply have to memorize 100 in any grouping and say them at any time. You can do one at a time. You can do five at a time. The next two levels are kids that memorize 50 verses at a time and say 50 verses in one sitting. And the gold level is somebody who will memorize 100 verses and say them one time in one sitting for one person, 100 verses challenging our kids to know the books, to learn the Word of God. Uh, this is really small, but then you get into the adults who helped. We had a lot of adults. When we go to the convention and the kids do compete somewhat, so to speak, they have to have judges. So for every child, just to kind of say it plainly, for every child maybe that gives a speech, we need at least one, if not a couple of adults, to then go judge some other kids in their speeches. You don't judge your own, but you would judge some other kids. And so we're really reliant upon our adults to help coach, teach our young people, to help with judges. We already mentioned that Gary and Sandra were a big part, a part of our weekend in Nashville because they brought the food, and we were all very thankful for that. Uh, but it's just a great program, and we want our young men to present what they had worked on this afternoon in our worship service. And we hope, if you don't stay for lunch, that you'd come back at 1.30 and be a part of our service then. I know it's going to be a little hard to read there, but if you have your Bibles already open to Philippians chapter 4, uh, that's where we're going to begin. You know, the God of heaven supplies every need that we have. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The God of heaven supplies every Need. In fact, the 23rd Psalm, which is such a great psalm, begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another way of saying it would be, I shall not lack. We don't have to lack, we don't have to want when God is our shepherd. Every human being has a, a basic set of needs. If you're familiar at all with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're not going to have time to get into that, but it's a pyramid of about five things that every person needs. It begins, of course, in the fundamental with things like food and water and air, and it builds. And there's, there's discussions in there about relationships, there's discussions in there about education, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is mentioned, but we all have very basic needs that are absolute requirements for human life. One of those is that God wants us to know him and to know about him. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 3, the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. 
Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Even in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 9, Isaiah would say the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. God wants us to know him and to know about him. And in, a Christ, in the Christian age that we live in today, the knowledge of God is still very critical. In Philippians chapter 3, if you're still there in Philippians, in verse number 8, Paul would say, Paul counts all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 2, there in verse number 20, 2 Peter 2, 20, Peter would write, that the Lord, excuse me, Peter would say, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the Lord, how did they escape those pollutions of pollutions of the world? Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter would say, if, if they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Jesus, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, then the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. That's the importance of the knowledge of the Lord, that we know the Lord, but then that we stay faithful to him. And of course, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, Peter concludes that epistle by saying to grow in the grace, yes, grace is important, but to also grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how has God addressed the five most basic needs of all humanity? Let's talk about all five of those real quick, and the lesson will be yours. Number one, life. People need to be alive. Well, of course, preacher, we, we know that. Well, yeah, people need to be alive. This may seem obvious, but think instead about the quality of life. Think about not just being alive, not just breathing air, but the quality of life. And of course, as we're talking about this, we're not just talking about having physical life, but we're talking about spiritual life. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, Jesus would say, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. You know, most fear for our lives is misplaced. That's kind of hard to say sometimes because we want to protect ourselves. Self-preservation is a big part of life. But as we talked about, what was that, maybe a month or two ago in our sermon where we talked about the fear of death, most of the times our fear is misplaced. Jesus says we should not fear death. We should not fear losing our body here. We should fear losing our soul. So God has given us this most basic need and the idea of giving us life. Jesus addressed this need because he offers abundant life. John chapter 10 and verse number 10, Jesus would say, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. See, God addressed our most basic need for life, for spiritual life, and that he sent his son. Jesus addressed this with those statements that he said there. God also addresses this via scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, 2 Peter 1, 3, again, Peter says, As his divine power, as God's divine power has given to you. He's given to me. He's given it to us. His divine power has given to us all Things that pertain to life. All things that pertain to life and godliness. We think about that, and as I've said before, I think we shortchange that sometimes. But God has given us life. Also in John chapter 6, verses 63 through 68, 
John, this, this, uh, Jesus touches on this as well here. He says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You remember then later there in John chapter 6, as Peter says, who else are we going to go to, Jesus? You have the words of what? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. God is saying to us, I got this. I've got this. You just need to follow after me. Our most basic need is life, and God has provided that provided that for us through his son the second thing we might touch on is happiness happiness yes life is important but happiness is also important we've discussed this when it comes to social media a few times especially in our wednesday night bible class but the idea that sometimes we we put out pictures of our smiling happy family on easter and things like that and people say oh they're just acting like they've got it all together maybe somebody is maybe they're not I would be worried if Christians only put out every time that they fought with their wife or their husband or every time that they had to spank their kids because they were in trouble, right? I mean, yes, we all have problems, but yes, we all have good days. We are to be happy. That's what God wants us to be. People will go to great lengths to seek happiness, right? I mean, I didn't pull the numbers, but we could go down the list and think about all the different businesses, all the different parts of our economy that are real things simply because people are seeking to be happy. I mean, things that people would have never imagined were jobs or ways to make money many, many years ago are now part of a way to have, make a business and have a life because people are seeking happiness. Think about Solomon. I said what I just said there about people not imagining what was taking place today. But Solomon, long ago, said, I have been seeking happiness. And where did he seek it? He sought it in alcohol. He sought it in women. He went many other places. And Solomon documented his quest in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he let us know at the end of that book, at the end of Ecclesiastes, he said, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. You can chase the women, you can chase the alcohol, you can do all these other things, but it will not bring you happiness unless you fear God and keep his commandments. But Solomon's not the only one. Jesus addressed this, of course, as well. He addressed this need because he is our joy. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul would write and say, Rejoice in the Lord, not even in your kids, not even in your spouse or your sports team or your job, but rejoice in the Lord. Those things can bring us happiness, a, a temporal earthly happiness, but rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Nehemiah said it as well in the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus is to be our joy. And scripture also once again meets this need. We can rejoice knowing that no matter what, knowing our hope is in heaven. I said it again this week, of course, as we thought about our brother Gabby, and we went through the funeral services on Thursday. But as sad as we are, sometimes there's something different about performing a funeral service, being with a family, when it's a Christian who has lived a faithful life. It still hurts. There's still a hole in our congregation and in this good family's life. But we know that it's just different. Because of the hope of heaven. Scripture reminds us, us that, reminds us that we can rejoice no matter what. I don't know if you've been around, excuse me, or paying attention the last couple of years. Elections, viruses, 
things that fires, things that go around destroying our world, division in our country, division in the church. It's easy to get down. But God doesn't want it to be that way. And I still think he wants Christians, even though those things are going on around us, to then be rejoicing, thinking of the hope of heaven. Whatever my lot, I can have a joy, a true joy that even surpasses happiness, we might say. We know, again, because Paul writes it there in Philippians chapter 4, this time verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can have happiness, true happiness. God meets that need. Once again, basically by sending his son, but even through the words of his son and the words of scripture. Number three, the idea of caring. Uh, You think about your needs. You want someone who cares. Let me ask you this question. How much does it hurt when you feel like no one cares? Uh, Whether it be some accomplishment, whether it be a husband who comes home and wants to tell about his promotion or his great day or something that's happened, or the child comes home from school. You know, some people have written about this hierarchy of needs in relation to education. How is it that a child is going to feel able to be educated, be willing to listen, unless they feel cared about? How do we feel when it feels like no one cares? And you know, the need for life, even, the need for life is often diminished when we feel unloved or uncared about, right? What is suicide? But it often is the taking of one's own life because they feel like no one cares. What is murder? Murder is sometimes taking someone else's life because someone feels uncared about or unloved. Jesus and God, of course, demonstrated the greatest care. We know in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, that for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God. I've been promising you a lesson on those kinds of words, those real small words, but God. You see, here's one situation, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You ever felt like you deserved something you didn't get? You ever felt like you didn't get something you deserved? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we talked about on Wednesday night in our Bible class, we're not going to work our way to heaven. We're not going to do enough good things because of our sinful nature. But God demonstrated his love toward us. He cared for us enough that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But not only that, if you have your Bible, look in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Because God further addressed this need when it came to the church. They demonstrated their care, God and Jesus, through sending Jesus to die on the cross. But God further addressed this need via the church. 1 John 3, verse 16. By this we know love. How do we know love, John? Because he laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has gained this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in 
truth. Again, one of the great blessings that we witnessed this last week was a congregation and a family coming together. People, the church being an example to the world, to this community. As a great man fell and we had a chance to honor him, the community comes together and they see the church that he was a part of. And they can see how much we care for one another. And it's a great example. See, God didn't just send his son, although he did and we had to have that. But he also established his church so that we could be a part of it and we could be a light to the world. And we'll come back to that in just a moment as we conclude the lesson. When we realize the great love that God has for us, and not only that, but the utter lack of love that our adversary the devil has for us, then I think it only comes naturally that we would give our life to God. We think about how, what he's done, how much he cares, what the devil does for us, which is nothing but cause pain and suffering, then we will give our lives to God. Number four, basic needs of humanity. What about control? We all have a need for control, right? Sometimes we exercise that or show that in different ways. But again, when we think about our lives, we want a measure of control. Uh, we're about now, of course, having four young people in our household trying to teach them you don't always have control. But when we feel out of control, we feel really hard sometimes. We feel, we feel really down because we just feel like we're spinning out of control. We need, as a part of our basic needs, to feel some level of control. And feeling like we have no control can be an awful, awful feeling. But guess what? God addressed that need as well. God addressed that need of our needing to have control by, by allowing us to have free will. We've already talked about Joshua in the, month of, in the month of March, but Joshua says it there so plainly. Joshua 24 and verse 15. What's the word? Choose. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have a choice. Right before Joshua says that, at the end of that, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, Moses says it. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. God has given us free will. Jesus invites us, but we must choose. John chapter 5 and verse number 6, Jesus asked one of those questions. It's kind of silly when we think about it, at least in our mindset. I don't mean to be irreverent, but you think Jesus there is about to heal someone, but in John 5, there in verse 6, he begins by asking the man, do you want to be made well? Well, of course, Jesus, I want to be made well. Jesus knew that. But, of course, he says, do you want to be made well? And then later, after he does that, as he's talking, he says to those who are gathered there, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, of course. But with choice, as we think about the opportunity and the ability to have control, with choice comes consequences. In Ezekiel chapter 18, in verse number 20, God would say, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father bear the iniquity or the guilt of the son. We touched on this in our class this morning here in the auditorium, if you were with us. We talked about the fact that each one of us have to stand before judgment. That's bad news for some and good news for others, right? But we have free will. We have the opportunity to choose, but with choice comes consequences. 
when we talk about evil, pain, and suffering, when we talk about all the things in the world that get us down, very often those things come about because of poor choices of people. Sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes it's other people's fault. You think about a drunk driver who has an accident and takes another family's life. It wasn't their fault, but of course it was someone else's poor choice that caused their death. But we do have control in the sense that we have a choice. We're thankful to God for that. As we've said before, I reckon he could have made us robots. I reckon he could have chosen certain people to be saved and certain people to be lost, and we would be sitting here with no choice or no hope, just trying to decide if we're saved or not. He's given us control. He's met our need for control, and that he's given us free will. Fifth and finally this morning, what about purpose? What about purpose? If one's life has no purpose, then he really has no life at all. When you think about lacking purpose, purpose... Not having purpose usually causes people to fall into misery and to sin. Maybe you've been there before. Most of us have kind of at least been to that edge before, maybe, where we've struggled so much, we're falling into misery and to sin. It's because we simply lack purpose. I'll be honest, I think I've said it before, but I don't know how people do it sometimes. How they go through life, how they go through death, losing a loved one, without thinking about the purpose that we have. So many people fall into sin because they feel like they have no purpose. But you know what? God gives purpose to our lives. He's met our basic need for having purpose by giving us that. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's our purpose. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says then, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, I can wake up, I can go to bed, I can live my life each day knowing that my purpose is to serve God. That my purpose is to glorify Him. And my labor is not in vain if I will be steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. But I want to notice two things together here as we conclude this lesson. As we think about purpose, our purpose, we might say, number one, is to glorify him, to glorify God through Jesus. We think about Ecclesiastes, again, we've already quoted it, but Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. You know Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. There in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, Let your light so shine before men. One of the things my father-in-law often does in sermons is, you know, give all the wrong answers, right? Let your light so shine before men so that you can get more money in life, right? That's not what he says. Let your light so shine before men that you can get a pat on the back and everybody will love you and think you, you did a great job. That's not what he says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, yes, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's why we do the good things. And everything we do should be to glorify him. Yes, whether it be at the ball field, whether it be in the school system, whether it be in our job or the grocery store or whoever we may come in contact with, all things done to glorify the Father in heaven. Peter says it as well in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. I like this one as well. We don't always point it out when we talk about Matthew 5. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among The Gentiles. You know, Jerry talked about it in class this morning. Our elders are to do that, to have good conduct among the people, but we all are, in a sense. So that whether they see you at the ball field or at the grocery store or in your job, 
they know who you are. And as Peter talks about here, he says that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they observe, which they see, glorify your Father or glorify God in the day of visitation. They can't speak evil of you. They just can't do it because you're not that kind of person. You're a Christ follower, a servant of the Most High God, and that's what they know when they think of you or they think of me. Our first purpose is to glorify God through Jesus, but we might say our second purpose is to help ourselves and, our, and help ourselves and help others go to heaven. Philippians chapter 3. We started in Philippians. Let's finish in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul would say, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the th- those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our goal should be to get to heaven. (coughs) Excuse me, to get to heaven. We often say to get to heaven and take as many people as we can with us. Is that what we're striving to do? Again, family of four, six people going different directions, a lot of things going on in our lives these days. We got a lot of things to do. We all have a lot of things to do. But we need to remember our primary purpose, or purposes in this case, to glorify God in those things that we do, but to remember that our goal is to get to heaven, to be in heaven for all of eternity. From the most basic to the most important needs in our life, God has provided them all. He gives us life, he supplies joy or happiness, and when no one else cares about us, nobody cares for us more than he does. Number four, he gives us control over our lives and that we have choice. Number five, he gives life true purpose. There is not a single human need not addressed by the Bible. And I think of it this way then. The decision to follow God is not a difficult one. We say this sometimes as preachers as an illustration, but what if I had the answer to life? What if I had everything that you needed? Would you take it? Absolutely you would. We've got it. We've been given to it by God the Father. And yet so many people choose to ignore it or to avoid it. The decision to follow God when we think about the fact that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's met all of our needs by sending his son, by giving us his church, by allowing us to be together even as we are this morning. Then the decision to follow God is not a difficult one. As we conclude our lesson this morning, we extend heaven's invitation. We're about to sing a song of encouragement or a song of invitation in just a moment. We invite you as we sing that song to come forward if you would like to to the front pew. One of our elders will be here in just a moment as we sing that song to encourage you. We believe that God has a simple plan of salvation. As we said, we put this, we say sometimes we put this slide up at the end of every lesson and it's very hard to go through it in great detail. If you'd like to know more about it or you'd like to discuss these things, we would love to do that with you as soon as possible. But this is God's simple plan of salvation. You've heard the word this morning. You may be ready to believe the word that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Once you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you are ready to repent of your sins. If you believe him and believe his word, then you would want to repent of your sins. That means to change your mind and allow your change of mind to change your life, to change your actions. If you repent of your sins, then you're ready to confess Jesus as Lord. We see people doing that in the New Testament. They're confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is not confessing your sins in this particular instance, but confessing Jesus as Lord. 
Once you've done those things, you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We oftentimes think about the idea that in being immersed in the water, participating with Jesus in that gospel, that death, burial, and resurrection is so great and wonderful. We participate with him in that. We rise out of the water to walk in newness of life. And as we do that, we come in contact in that water with the blood of Christ, which washes away our sins, and the Lord adds us to his church. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that, but you've wandered away. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but you need to come back to him, we're thankful for that opportunity. You know, God doesn't just strike us dead the first time we mess up. He gives us a chance to repent of our sin, to confess those sins, even before an audience such as this. If you're here and you're a Christian and you'd like to come forward and and make your sin known before this audience that we can pray with you and for you, again, we'd love to do that. Even as our good sister Jessica did on Wednesday night, coming forward, just simply asking for encouragement. Encouraging all of us to say that, yes, sometimes I need prayers, sometimes I struggle. We're thankful for that opportunity as well. We're about to sing this song of encouragement. You can become a Christian if you'd like to this day, or you can come back to him. But we would be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.